Hello, and welcome to the BPL Podcast. My name is Josh, and in this episode, we're talking about banned books. One of the library's public service associates, Owen, wrote a very thoughtful blog post on our website that dives into a history of banning books with a focus on American book banning, reasons books are challenged, and even recommends his favorite challenge title. We thought it'd be a great podcast. So this blog post was originally written for Banned Books Week at the end of September, so the podcast is a little late, but I thought anytime is a good time to talk about censorship. And with that, I'll turn it over to Owen. This past Sunday marked the beginning of Banned Books Week, a week that aims to celebrate the freedom of literary expression. Book censorship is a rising problem in the United States, with the American Library Association reporting an unprecedented number of book challenges, as well as the New York Times dictating in January that parents, activists, school board officials, and lawmakers around the country are challenging books at a pace not seen in decades. For whatever the reason, there has been a consistent rise in censorship attempts. Ban Books Week is an effort to both raise awareness and opposition to these attacks on literary freedom and to celebrate the books that have been targeted. I hope to lay out a brief history of book censorship, especially in the United States, to provide context as to why this week is so critically important. From the first cuneiform tablets and hieroglyph-laden papyrus scrolls, there has hummed a consistent desire from those of authority to censor books and texts. Jin Shi Huang, the first emperor of a united China, undertook book burnings in the 200s BCE as part of an attempt to purge Confucian intellectuals from his court. Catholic authorities heavily censored early Protestant texts in the 1500s to try and counter the blossoming Reformation. The German Student Union, under the Nazi regime, facilitated public burnings of books written by Jews, communists, liberals, anarchists, and anyone else who wrote works antithetical to their ideology. These are but a few examples from world history that show that book censorship, especially in its most extreme forms, is not a new phenomenon is not specific to any one person or culture, and is executed for a variety of reasons. As Americans, we tend to extol certain values, such as freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Yet despite this, book censorship has a long history in this country, stretching back long before the founding of our nation, in fact. In 1650, William Pynchon, Coincidentally, the founder of Springfield, Massachusetts, had his pamphlet, The Meritorious Price of Our Redemption, burned by the Puritan authorities of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, marking what is believed to be the first instance of book censorship in America. As the 13 colonies grew in size and prosperity, so too did censorship by British authorities. In the 1730s, books and pamphlets in the colonies that espoused political dissent were suppressed and any text that critiqued public officials was punishable by law as libel. These measures seem incredulous today, but they display the threat the written word possesses for those who oppose a freer, fairer society. Though the British were expelled, this does not mean that the written word was free to roam unsequestered. Following the founding of the United States, the federal government largely sought to distance itself from censorship but this does not mean that it was not widespread as the new country expanded. 
As the nascent nation found its footing in the 19th century, clear divisions still remained between the states. Slavery, that most hideous stain on our nation's past, formed a chasm that deeply divided the states on a societal level. As a result, censorship was largely the initiative of state authorities rather than the federal government. A book published in Rhode Island, for example, might have been banned in South Carolina, or vice versa. As the issue of slavery neared a boiling point towards the middle of the century, abolitionist Harriet Beecher Stowe's Uncle Tom's Cabin was published in 1851 and sought to expose the heinousness of the practice. Slaveholders and authorities in slave states burned and banned the book. A minister named Sam Green was sentenced to 10 years in a Maryland penitentiary just for owning a copy of the book. Likewise, Mark Twain's famous work, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, was almost instantly challenged following its publication for its offensive language and portrayal of black characters. It remains a controversial book to this day, and it continues to be one of the most censored and banned books in the nation's history. The Comstock Laws of 1873 brought the federal government back in the business of censorship. They deemed that it was illegal for erotica, sexually explicit materials, including personal letters, and texts pertaining to contraceptives and abortions to be sent via the Postal Service. This was part of a larger censorship movement that lasted through the 1920s that aimed to be rid of any written materials that were deemed obscene or immoral. This law was eventually phased out, but it goes to show that even the federal government which promises to protect our inherent freedom of speech, was at times in our history guilty of infringing on those very rights. As the country moved into the mid-20th century, schools and libraries increasingly became battlegrounds in the fight for and against censorship. Even as the country grew to be more socially liberal compared to its past, there remained a debate between parents, school administrators, library boards, and others to determine which books should and should not be readily accessible. In schools, this came to a head when the Supreme Court protected students' and teachers' rights to freedom of speech in public schools in the case Tinker v. Des Moines in 1969, as well as prohibited the ability of school boards to remove books from school libraries simply because they did not agree with their contents in the case Island Trees Union Free School District versus Pico in 1982. Despite these protections in place, schools and libraries came under the threat of so many book challenges and attempted book bans that Banned Book Week was created in the 1980s to help quell the tide of book challenges and to raise awareness against the threat of censorship. It is during this time where we began to see the more famous, challenged, and banned books at the forefront of the conversation. Books like Hyper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath, F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby, and J.D. Salinger's The Catcher in the Rye are all famous examples of books that were challenged and or banned for very different reasons. These titles, among others, fall into a category of books that some consider to be classics that should be preserved for all to read, while others take them only at face value and wish to challenge or ban them for specific facets of their content. Use of the N-word in To Kill a Mockingbird, for example, or the sexual profanity in The Catcher in the Rye. The important context for these challenges 
is that they're taking place within schools and libraries, where prognosticators are weighing book status as literary classics against specific areas of the book's content that some consider harmful to the prospective kids and teens that wish to read them. These books, at least, have the status of classic to lean on when they are being challenged. More recently published books do not have such a luxury. Books such as Khaled Hosseini's The Kite Runner, John Green's Looking for Alaska, and Marjan Satrapi's Persepolis are all examples of coming-of-age stories that have been challenged or banned because some have decided they should not be read by those who are actually coming-of-age. My particular favorite of these is Persepolis, which I read as part of a high school English class here in Bexley. It follows the author, Marjan Satrapi, through her tumultuous upbringing in Iran before and after the 1979 Islamic Revolution. It is heady and offers a unique perspective on a political event that is not well known to most prospective American teens. Yet the story remains squarely focused on Marjan and her coming of age, her actions with her parents, friends, and strangers who are all caught up in the societal upheaval, and her experiences as a woman in an Iran dominated by Sharia law. Its themes of growing up amid uncertainty, navigating societal upheaval, and standing up for yourself and your values amid persecution resonate strongly. It is a beautifully written and drawn graphic novel, and is still probably my favorite graphic novel I've ever read. Yet, it remains the target of book challenges, largely due to some graphic language and images. But it has also been challenged simply because it was written by a Muslim about her experiences growing up in her home country. Parents and community members of a Texas school protested the book's inclusion in a book discussion series for this very reason. Book challenges and bans threaten to tear kids and teens away from books that may change them for the better, like Persepolis did for me. And the challenges are only growing more frequent by the month. PEN America, a nonprofit organization that advocates for free speech, reports that state legislatures are passing, quote, educational gag orders, proposals to track and monitor teachers, and mechanisms to facilitate book banning in school districts, while at the same time, the scale and force of book banning in local communities is escalating dramatically. As the country continues to move in a more divisive direction, those who wish to impose restrictions on what can and cannot be read freely will become only more active in their censorship efforts. It is why the fight against censorship is still so critical, even as we move into an age of abundantly available information. With book challenges and book bans rising by the year, it is more important than ever to recognize the value in books, especially those that are facing the threat of censorship. It is why I hope you'll join us in the millennia-old fight against censorship. Thank you for tuning into the BPL podcast today. I hope you enjoyed. To find out more about the Bexley Public Library, including upcoming events, visit our website, bexleylibrary.org, or the handle at Bexley Library across all social media platforms. Special thanks to FOMO Deep for lending us their song Bourbon Neat for the podcast. Please check out all of their music at fomodeep.com. Email me with any comments, questions, or suggestions at podcast at bexleylibrary.org. Thank you.